Hi, I'm referee Mark Fralick. Thanks for joining me for the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. Today's guest is Steve Trout from Wapakoneta, Ohio. When you talk about influential high school basketball officials in the state of Ohio, Steve has to be right up there as one of the best. He's a member of the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame, the Ohio Officials Hall of Fame. He has officiated 17 state boys basketball tournaments, one girls state tournament, 10 state finals. He's been a basketball official for 43 years. He's been a volleyball official for 43 years. He has 19 years as a softball official. He still has a full schedule and provides some great information in this podcast for officials and also some interesting stories, especially when a fan told him to stick his whistle somewhere special. (laughs) As a reminder, this podcast can be heard on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other podcast platforms. I hope you enjoy this episode with Steve Trout and also take time to listen to previous and future episodes of the High School Basketball Referee. Enjoy! You've had quite a career, and uh, when you look back, and you know, you're still going at a full schedule, too. So, when you look at this uh, 43 years, what's your thoughts about uh, how fast it went and um, uh, where you're at today? You, no one ever realizes in, uh, until they look back how quickly it all, it all goes by. Um, I was thinking, uh, I've been retired now for about for, for 15 years, and I was thinking. Well, it'd be nice if I could retire from work and, and referee for three or four years where I don't have to worry about getting home and getting up the next morning and so forth. And, and that's nice. But now I've done it for 15. I've done that for 15 years. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of exhausting. But now it's kind of it, it's just what I do. Uh, uh, I try to avoid anything I really consider work as much as I can. And uh, this is just enjoyment I'm, I'm getting to do something I really enjoy and I, I love to do and like I say I've done it for 43 years so it's been part of my life for an awfully long time you know one thing that uh, in going through all of those statistics I how many volleyball state tournaments have you worked I've worked uh, again I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure but uh, uh, over 20 uh, 22 or 23 Wow and and softball have you worked any there uh, I've worked seven of those. Yeah, and you can see why uh, you're definitely deserving of of the Hall of Fame induction. So, talk to us a little bit about how you got into officiating, how you got into basketball officiating, and and why multiple sports. Well, the um, I w- in high school, I wanted to be I wanted I wanted to go to college and be a coach. And, of course, I, I played all the sports, football, basketball, and baseball in high school. So, so our family was always uh, sports-oriented and, and, uh, and in that direction. I wanted to be a coach. Uh, now, in college, that's the first time I ever officiated. I had, a, I had a buddy in college that asked me one night to help officiate an intramural basketball game and get paid to do it. So I started, uh, worked a couple intramural basketball games, and then it, that kind of expanded and started working rec basketball 
uh, in in college. You know, the Whirlpool League on Wednesday night and uh, the Marathon League on Tuesday night. Three or four three or four games every night. I think I would work about um, worked out to about fourteen or fifteen games a week. That's pretty good spending money. Oh, absolutely for a college kid. Uh, in in yeah. college, that was that was great spending yeah. money. And then it. it uh, I think back then, I don't even think the, you needed a, a, an OHSAA license to work junior high, because I, wor- I worked some junior high, too. Now, all this time I'm doing this, my goal is to be a, a basketball coach. Um, that, was, that was my main directive. And um, when I got out of college, I went to New Knoxville and, and was the basketball coach. I was the head basketball coach at New Knoxville for three years. And... Uh, not a very good one. <laughs> Not a very good one at all. And when I, uh, so when I uh, got done doing that, I got my referee license the very, very next year, which was, I think, 1976 or 77, is when I got my referee license and uh, to do basketball. And I got my volleyball license the same year um, because there was nothing really for me to do in the fall. I was a football player in high school and college. But I wanted nothing to do with going out in the weather and the mosquitoes and so forth on Friday night. So I got my volleyball license, and uh, that's how I got my start in uh, in nineteen, I think seventy seven or seventy eight, when I got my licenses. Now, fast yes, about fast pit softball. I played fast pit softball. So when I when I realized that there was fast pit softball to, that it could be umpired, I just kind of fell into that. That's something I had had done for for fifteen years. And uh, that was right up my alley. That, that's a great way to, to, to do the spring. So with those three sports, I'm refereeing volleyball in the fall, basketball in the winter, and softball in the spring. And it's just this, that's right now, like I said, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with our pregame. As as uh, many people know that listen to this, this podcast is, is broken out into a variety of different segments. Uh, first of all, it's just like a basketball game. We start with the pregame where officials get together and they talk about the preparation for the game. Uh, and then we go to the first quarter, the second quarter. We take a break for halftime. We go to the third quarter and fourth quarter, and we have sometimes what we consider as our favorite thing, which is postgame. And then, uh, as officials know, we have to make some quick decisions during the game, so we'll conclude the podcast with five quick decisions at the end. So let's start with the pregame, and before we start, let's listen to this. Hey ref, if your day job requires engineering thermoplastics, connect with PQ2 LLC and have a thorough, candid, and honest pregame discussion about your next injection molding, extrusion, or blow molded project. Make the right call to PQ2 LLC. That's www.pq-2.com. So, Steve, uh, as we look throughout your career uh talk to us a little bit about the influential officials that you experienced in your journey in officiating and and maybe it's the people that were early in your career you could mention some of those people but have there been anybody mid-career to late career that have been influential on you as well oh boy there certainly there certainly have been uh when i started refereeing got my referee license of course, the, the, the gentlemen, the, the officials that are in your local association are generally the ones that are influential to you, the ones that you're around. 
my association was Lima. Uh, so the, the, the influential officials, when I began officiating in the Lima area, uh, again, these are going to be guys that, unless you're a little older, may not even remember. But Don Mack, um, um, Bill Bruno, Don Hooks were, were three of the officials in, in the, the Lima Association who were very influential. Don Mack was the local secretary. Uh, Don Hooks had worked, uh, he worked the high-level regional games uh, most every year. I think he maybe worked the state tournament. And, uh, and Bill Bruno, those were the guys that you almost needed to get with because they had games every night. And, and of course, back then, the varsity officials got their own JV officials and took them with them to the games. So those were the guys who had the games who you could work the JV games for, get into a lot of schools that way, and, and, and then also be around some pretty good officials who could teach you um, uh, the ins and outs uh, as a young official. Do you remember your first game? You know what? The first OHSAA game that I worked, the first year that I refereed, I only worked two games. They were two JV games, and they were both at Waynesfield Goshen. And the official who secured me or got me to go over was was Phil Schumann. So those were my first two JV games. Um, the first varsity game I ever worked was a girls' game at Antwerp, and uh, it was uh, it was Kaleida at Antwerp. And uh, if I uh, I was trying to think back, I think I might have might, may have worked that with Ron Ferner. Oh yeah, another North. So yeah, time. I yeah. remember the first game, uh, the first boys game. I don't remember that would have been a little later on. This was the first varsity game I worked. So uh, and if I'm correct, Clyde was ranked in the top ten that year, and uh, it was uh, yeah pretty exciting. Yeah, that's quite a haul from Wapakoneta. Oh man, that's terrible. <laughs> Too far to go now. Uh, I think from Wapakoneta to Antwerp is probably see Antwerp's forty five, so it's probably sixty five miles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they had a nice gym. They had a nice gym, and, and uh, so yeah, it was that was a great start. But you know, when you were officiating, and probably when you first started out, and even now, traveling is uh, was no big deal when you were trying to build your schedule and. Um, and as you get older, probably uh, probably a little bit less that you want to go that far, right? Yeah, you know what we what we did back then was really not the best for for everyone involved. As a JV official, if I if I go to Van, let's say I'd go to Van Wert just for a, for a JV game with with Don Mack or one of those guys, we would generally go together. We would meet. We would go together. And the JV game would start at 6.30, which would mean I'd have to leave here at home probably at 4 o'clock to meet them and join up together and go to Van Wert. And then after the JV game is over, since I rode with them, I'd have to wait until the varsity game was over to come home with them. And I wouldn't get home till like 11 o'clock. So here I am leaving home at 4 o'clock, getting home at 11 o'clock that night to probably make 15 bucks. And doing that two or three times a week, uh, it's something you almost had to do. But uh, in relationship to uh, the, the whole life and, and in your world and your work, that's not that really wasn't the best thing. It wasn't wasn't great. Before we get to the first quarter, it's better now because the JVs go go to the game by themselves. They can get home earlier. 
Uh, varsity guy doesn't have to be at the game an hour and a half before his game. Those are good things. You, you have more time to spend at home with your family and so forth. But there's less time to spend with the officials to to talk about plays and games and situations. And, and the, the learning aspect has kind of dwindled a little bit while the convenience has become greater. Good point. Okay, so I'd like to tell you this. Speaking about learning, that's something we're going to talk about right now. So we're, we're in the pregame, and we know as officials that the pregame is really one of the most important parts of prior to getting on the basketball floor. So talk a little bit, Steve, if you would, about pregame, the importance of pregame, and some of the things that you talk about before you go on the basketball floor. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the pregame that we talk about now is is dealing with probably mechanics, with the three-man mechanics and, and exactly how we're going to do things like that, which hopefully, if, if we cover them correctly in our, in our local meetings, everyone's pretty much on the same page. But we all have our little, you know, our nuances and the little things that we like to do, and, and we like to communicate those with the guys that we work with, um, as well as any situations that might come up during the ball game, uh, such as uh, these two schools we're playing tonight are, are big rivals. Um, maybe they've already played this year. Uh, maybe it's uh, for the league championship or something. You know, things that, that will affect the game emotionally, uh, as well as the, the mechanics that uh, are the physical things that we can actually work on and, and work together on the floor. Hey, ref, objectivity, integrity, and experience. All hallmarks of a quality basketball official. At PQ2 LLC, we bring those traits and an unmatched passion for our customers' successful plastic application by being a one-stop shop for thermoplastic resins. Visit our website at www.pq-2.com. Real needs, practical solutions, and exponential results. PQ2 LLC. Okay, we're entering the first quarter now. The first quarter, uh, Steve, we deal with coaches. So, what for your for yourself and and for the other officials? What have been some of the most beneficial tactics in your forty three year career that have worked for you in dealing with coaches? You know what? Um, it's it's amazing when you when you deal with when you deal with coaches and people have asked me about coaches because I've worked I worked for Bob Arnson and uh, and. Uh, some of the guys at uh, Freilich at, at Van Wert and uh, uh, people say now are those guys hard to work for you know like Dick Cordicraft and so forth are they hard to work for you know what those guys weren't too hard to work for because they won most of their games those guys aren't hard to work for uh, the guys that are hard to work for the guys that are 5 and 15 or uh have been coaching for 10 years and have never had a winning season. Those guys are the ones that are difficult to work for. And, uh, again, you have to, you have to understand what, what makes them tick and so forth. One of the things I try to do is I always try to say something to each one of them. I'm not, I'm not a great talker with a coach. I don't talk a great deal, but I try to say something to them positive every night. You know, if something happens like, uh, like, uh, they run a great out of bounds play or something, I'll, I'll make a comment about them. What great, great out of bounds call or something. Um, something positive and, and another thing I try to do it's nice if you can say something once in a while 
that takes their mind completely off the game. Uh, just just an example, you, you might walk over and say, man, that's a great-looking suit you got on tonight. You know, your wife get that for you or what? And just for a few minutes, you know, their mind's off what, what's bothering them, what's upsetting them, and so forth. And uh, before we get back to the game, um, of course, the other, the other tactic, another tactic that works well, is if you get most of the plays pretty close. Uh, if you go out and, and have to tell a coach three times in a game, coach, I missed that one. I'll get the next one right. That's not very good. Most of them will, will accept that explanation maybe once. Coach, I missed that call. So-and-so did this. I missed it. I won't let it happen again. Uh, that will generally work um, once. Don't try it two or three times. But um, if you're refereeing a good ball game and, and uh, the calls that you're making are – Pretty, pretty close and pretty good and consistent all the time. Most of them aren't going aren't gonna to have a whole lot to say. If they do, then they pretty much cross the line, uh, and you're going to have to uh, use whatever tactics you use to, uh, to cool them down. Now, you talked about some of the coaches that you dealt with that you remember real well, the Arnzen, the Dave Frelicks, the um, uh, Coach Quartercracks uh, out of Kaleida. Um, how about some of the more memorable coaches outside of those three that you've dealt with and what made them a memorable coach? Tell you somebody who I, who I had a chance to work for in college one night was Dan Dockage. Oh yeah. Uh, He was good. Yeah. He was coach. It was the first game he ever coached as the head coach at Bowling Green. And it it was a preseason game up there, but uh, Dockage was the coach and I got to, uh, I got to, uh, Work that game, and of course he was—he uh, was as nervous as could be. <laughs> and uh, he, um, well, he, he was actually fun to be around. He uh, pretty much like you see him on on the, the game cast on on ESPN that he does. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, he's one of the more memorable memorable guys that, that I was around. The inter- interesting one was, was uh, of the guys I missed was Bob Arnson. Um, because Bob was a good guy, really a good guy. People said, how's Arnson to work for? And I said, you know what? I had nine games in a row before Bob ever lost one. And what a great guy to work for. <laughs> I said, when he finally played that 10th game and he lost, he whined, moaned, and complained like everybody else would. And, uh, and it was true. I mean, he, he wanted to win every game. And he, he would really, really stick up for his kids. A lot of his complaining was just, because he told his kid to do something like, a, the, the, let, me give me, let me give you an example. Tell his guard, now you take the ball to the basket. So the guard takes the ball to the basket and I call a charge on him. Well, he's going to stick up for his kid because he told him to go to the basket. He wants him to keep going to the basket just because I call a charge against him. Uh, don't quit doing it. But Bob would, but Bob was, was one coach who would come. He came to the locker room one, after, one night after the game and he said, you know what, guys, that was really a tough game to officiate, wasn't it? I don't know how many how many coaches ever really realized that. Bob did, and uh, was he was fun to work for. He had great teams and uh, treated you well. And he's one of the really memorable guys. He was a friend as well uh, that I've ever worked for. A lot of coaches used to go into the locker rooms after the game, didn't they? Well, used to be. Yeah. You a lot of times you dressed in their in their coach's room. Heaven's sakes, yes, you dressed right in their coach's room or the. And, and the coach's room a lot of times was, was right next to the locker room, so you could sit in the coach's room at halftime 
and listen to him yell and scream and, and <laughs> at his kids and so forth. So, yeah, it, uh, I think they were, it seems though, more nowadays we're, we're isolated a little bit more. The new gyms, the new facilities kind of have officials' room off to the side and so forth. The old ones didn't. You dressed in a coach's room, and that was right off the locker room, and you could hear everything and so forth. And and uh, it, it was it wasn't quite. You had to be you had to be careful what you said in the locker room because if you said something about a player or or the coach, they could be standing right there listening to you. So you had to be really really careful about what you said and and how you acted. How do you maintain professionalism on the basketball floor? Everybody's watching you. A coach is in your face. Uh, how do you remain calm and, and keep that professionalism? You know what? I um, I have a pretty short temper. And I probably don't maintain my professionalism as much as I should and much as I, much as I could. Uh, I really, really have to. I really work on that. You know, if I'm standing there and somebody's yelling at me, I have a hard time not getting mad and yelling back. Um, but that's something I've had to really had, had to learn how to control, and I think I do much better. You know what? Most of those guys, most of the coaches, when, they, when they're angry, they are not angry at you. They're angry at the situation. They're angry about uh, the way the game is going. Uh, angry about that call even though every official in, in, in the county would have made the same call you have to understand they're not personally mad at you let them vent a little bit and uh, if they don't get out of control then uh, they'll settle down and be all right yeah i i agree with that they do um they just want to vent and the more we can listen to them and and uh, listen to their concerns the the better off we'll be and and we'll keep up that communication um, a little bit off topic of the coaches, and, and since we're in the first quarter, I want to talk about the importance of the first quarter. And as a crew, you know, we there's last-second shots most likely in every quarter. How important mm-hmm. is it as a crew to utilize that first quarter as a preparation for the fourth quarter last-second shot? Oh, geez. Uh, you know, the one thing that the coaches and officials – try to do and, and and coaches want from officials is they want to know what you're going to call from the from the first from the tip off until the end if they if we see a certain play it should be pretty much called the same way and you set that tendency in the first quarter um, as far as far as last second shots and so forth we have mechanics to follow and if everybody's on the right uh, on the right page and following the correct mechanics, um, you know, everybody. It's not always everyone's call, but everyone on the floor, the, the officials, can have an opinion on that call. And if there's any question about it, the two other guys can certainly have an opinion to help the guy who made the, the call right or wrong. And uh, if something has to be changed or, or adjusted, then we can do that. Sometimes the, the last second shots in the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter. Uh, would you agree that sometimes that uh, as officials, as a crew, we kind of look at those differently than the fourth quarter last second shot? But in reality, the first, second, and third last second shots are kind of a prep- preparation for that fourth quarter. So we're ready to go. We've got three quarters of quote practice. Well, absolutely. I mean, like you said, there pro- there probably are going to be three of them before the last quarter. 
And uh, if you and that's again, that's one thing that you talk about the pregame. That's one thing you can talk about in the pregame. You know, we know exactly the mechanics. We know exactly who's going to be covering that shot, and uh, where we're going to be. Whether it's on a fast break or if it's uh, if it's in a, a set position, and it, it certainly does set the uh, uh, set us up for the entire ball game. And, and you know what? You better get it right in the first half because it could come down to a one-point game, and that could be the winning shot. That closes our first quarter. It's time for the second quarter, and this is what you can listen to. Hey, ref, Rule 1, Section A, Article 3, and the Project Management Rulebook says trust in your business partner gives you the best chance to launch your new plastics project application. Make PQ2 LLC part of your crew on your next thermoplastic resin application. Call 330-888-9448 and ask for our in-house basketball official and owner, Matt Kearns. And so we get to the second quarter, and Steve, we're going to talk about the players in the second quarter. What can you say about working with players? What's helped you the most in communicating with the players and uh, and just having an overall good rapport with them throughout throughout the game? Well, one thing one thing you have to understand, hopefully, is is the players are out there, hopefully, to enjoy what they're doing. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be an enjoyable situation for them. Um, I have. Uh, I don't know so much in high school, but in college, there are, there have been nights when the team has come out on the floor and you look over at the bench and the coach of that team is in a bad mood to begin with. You can tell. And 90% of the time when that coach is in a bad mood, the kids are too. And that's exactly how they act and exactly how they play on the floor, like they're mad. And uh, then there's a coach over here that's smiling, having a good time, enjoying the game, and his, and his kids are the same way. You need to realize that sometimes. You can get a great feel for how the team's feelings are about the game from your pregame conference. When the captains get together and you look at both captains, look them in the eye, you can tell if a kid's mad and upset. And that kind of sets the stage for his whole team for that night. You need Not, not that that changes what you call, but that can set you up for what's going to happen that night and you can be prepared then for uh, for the way they might act and and uh, uh, get along during the ball game. Yeah, uh, in the previous podcast, I talked to some officials about proactive officiating, um, and and we talk about that when we're using our voice uh, on the floor, uh, talking to the players as as they're making their moves, as as they're in the post, and maybe they've got a knee in the in the backside. Um, somebody's driving to the basket and maybe they're chesting up a little more than you'd like and, and we're able to proactively officiate that and, and communicate with the players. Is that something that you do and what kind of recommendations would you give uh, about that to fellow officials? Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big talk guy uh, especially in the post. Uh, in the post and uh, with, with hands on and, and elbows on and forearms on the back and so forth to drop them so forth. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I try to be very proactive with that uh, until, until you get somebody who wants to give you grief or uh, is causing a problem and so forth, then the talking stops and you just blow your whistle. And uh, he'll have to learn to stop pretty quickly or he won't be playing. Um, and, and, and you know that as well as I do. Yep. And a lot, a lot of the kids, one of the things we used to do in, in college 
is we used to try to pick out the troublemakers before the game started. The kids who we thought, and most of them, if you uh, can pick them out, they are the troublemakers. When you look out on the floor and, and a team's warming up, and they're all, you know, they've all got the same uniforms on and so forth, and uh, I've got one kid that's got different color socks and shoes on than everybody else. Now, wait a minute. Why is he wearing different shoes and socks? Everybody's going to notice him. That's why he's doing it. Probably wearing different color shoes so everybody will notice him. And he is the one who probably, during the ball game, is going to do something on the floor, do things, so everybody will notice him. And as an official, we we would we would used to pick those guys out and be prepared. Not I didn't say pick on them, but be prepared for them before the game started. Because some of the troublemakers you can pick out before the game starts, and that's that's important. Yeah, because you want to have a good flow to the game, and uh, the last thing you need is is uh, something negative to happen because simply because of an attitude. Well, yeah, you know, troublemakers. I mean. Let, let's be honest. You and I are refereeing. We want to have a good game. We want to have a good game, period. Troublemakers ruin your game. So if I can find that troublemaker and I can take care of him, uh, one way or the other, doesn't matter if it's, it's call a foul, make him sit on the bench, or talk to him, whatever. If I can keep that troublemaker from being a troublemaker, the odds are pretty good I can have a much better chance at a good game. Right, and that's, again, you had briefly touched on it where communication is really key, uh, especially yeah. if you see that and you want to be able to, to, to stop it right away. Communicating with that individual right away can, can stop a lot of bad things from happening. You know, Mark, I've got a little story. One of the, I knew a guy who was an NBA official. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in him, Joe DeRosa, who I have done a lot of the talking and so forth with. He talked about refereeing for Dennis Rodman. And how Rodman uh, was was an absolute could be an absolute pain, and everybody knew it before the game started. They knew he was an absolute pain, and you can never take your eye off of Dennis Rodman. But DeRosa said that the one thing that would always help them, whenever whenever Rodman would do something good, they'd always pat him on the back, tell him how good a job he did there, and and put a good word in to Rodman to make him feel good. So uh, there are ways to, to, to treat those guys to get them on your side. And if, those, if the guys who could be troublemakers are on, on your side, again, it just makes for a better game for you. Yep, sure does. Well, that brings us to halftime. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll head to the third and fourth quarters, followed by the post game and the lighthearted five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey, ref. This is Matt Kearns, and I'm honored and proud that PQ2 LLC is sponsoring my very good friend and former co-official Mark Fralich and the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. I love plastics manufacturing and making things happen in the world of engineering, resin, distribution, and compounding. But come on, there's nothing like game night. A packed gym, the place is rocking. And we leave the floor knowing our crew gave the players and coaches our best, right? I truly hope you enjoy these podcasts and thank you for your continued support of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast and PQ2 LLC. Tonight's tip, 
Nobody came to see us officiate, so make sure the kids are the stars on game night. Ever have a thought while you're listening to this podcast? Man, I really wished he would ask this specific question. Well, if there's a question that you would like to ask an official, let me know. Uh, send an email with your question to markfralick at hotmail.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-K-F-R-O-E-L-I-C-H at hotmail.com. Please include your name and where you're from, and I will ask one of the officials in an upcoming episode uh, your question. Okay, third quarter, uh, Steve, in the third quarter, we talk about the officials. And uh, any advice for a young official moving from the lower level to varsity? Yeah, I would. Uh, I can remember when I, uh, when I was breaking in. This, this is interesting. The first game I ever worked, I said, it was a JV game, and, and Phil Schumann was the varsity official there. One of the things he told me after the game was he said, you know, he said, you, uh, you could do okay. He said, you need to work on your mechanics. And I thought, what? What are you talking about? Um, young guys need to, to, first of all, listen to the older guys. Listen to people who have experience. And uh, don't question them. Uh, if you do have a question, ask it. You know, I guess I should have asked Phil, what do you mean I, I can improve my mechanics? I'm sure he was 100% right. My mechanics, I'm sure, were horrible. <laughs> uh, but one of, the, one of the things that older guys and more experienced officials don't like in younger officials is guys who won't listen, guys who know it all. Um, my dad once told me, he said, when you talk to somebody and they're, and they're telling you something, um, just shake your head and say, yes, sir, yes, sir, and uh, either do it your own way or do what they tell you. But it's yes, sir, and uh, do it that way. So I would you know, listen to the older guys, listen to the experienced guys, uh, most of them know what they're doing, and they're they're only trying to help you. And, and and secondly, don't get in over your head. Uh, I can remember the first varsity game I was ever offered. Boy, first varsity boys game I was ever offered. Uh, this is my second or third year with a license. I hadn't worked a varsity game yet. And uh, it was a game that would have been uh, with Lima Central Catholic. And I told the guy that offered me the game, I am not ready to do that yet. Uh, I didn't have the confidence I could do it. I, I have a, I like to have a, um, a, a confidence level when, it, when I do something. And I, would, I didn't want to get it over my head. Uh, all I could do was embarrass myself, hurt the game, and, uh, and uh, I sure didn't want to do that. Yeah, there's something to be said about learning and learning and learning at the lower levels before you make that jump to varsity, isn't there? Mm -hmm, there sure is. Uh, you know what? I've had two or three times in, in, in my basketball career, that was one of them where I said, I'm not ready for this any more than this. I can remember uh, working a tournament game uh, the first year I had tournaments. It was a boys' tournament game, and uh, it was it was a sectional final game, and it was a big game and so forth. And I got done and walked off the floor and sat down in a chair in the locker room and I told the, the guy I was working with, it was Don Mack, I said, Don, I said, this is all the higher I can work right now. I'm not ready for anything higher than this with, with any more emotions, any more, uh, you know, ability level than, than that. And, uh, and I wasn't. Because uh, I was always afraid when I was refereeing, I was always afraid that I was going to 
embarrass the guy I was working with, who at that time, of course, had more experience and and uh, and was was uh, uh, older than I was. I didn't want to embarrass him because they they were the ones who could help me. Geez, if I embarrass them or do something bad, there I go. And uh, so I was able to, to to look at it and say, I am at my level. I can't at this point. And I think it worked out. I think after 17, 18 state tournaments, I think it worked out too. <laughs> um, Steve, now you run a training camp um, in association with the OHSAA and the Ohio uh, basketball. Was that OABO? Help me out with that. Yes, Ohio Association of Basketball Officials. Yes. yes, and uh, so you run a training camp, and this year, unfortunately, we weren't able to have that. But um, you run that um, successfully for several years. What kind of things um, do you look for that impresses you with up-and-coming officials? You know, maybe it's communication, maybe it's a thirst for knowledge, and you touched on that a little bit. Maybe it's mechanics, maybe it's judgment. What kind of things do you look for, though? Well, uh, in, in regards to the in regards to the, the camp, and by the way, uh, you you'll see in all the stuff I do, I don't I don't call it a camp. I call it a clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when these things got started, the camp, the camps and so forth, uh, you know, twenty thirty years ago, um, a camp uh, kind of had a negative connotation. So we call it a clinic, and uh, it's a clinic where we want people to come down and learn, uh, and not all of the learning. I, I can't really say that all of the learning that the, the officials do who come to the clinic takes place on the floor. Um, the, the classroom settings, and I know you've been part of that uh, as well as on the floor, there's a lot of learning to be done in there. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that, that the, these officials come to the clinic, that's, that's, a, that's a feather in their cap right there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it shows they're concerned. It shows they're interested. They'll put the time in and uh, that they want to get better. Um, but, there, but there's no question when, when, you, when, when you walk by and you take a look at the six courts, you can kind of look out and say, yeah, there's a guy, I, I want to watch him. Uh, so much of this, uh, unfortunately, comes down to um, the way you look, uh, your appearance, uh, your physical makeup and so forth, because there, there are some people that you look out and you just say, you know what, I don't think they have it. And uh, I can't say why. It's just it's that kind of that it factor that we all we all put into it. But uh, I'll give everybody. We've had great uh, great uh, luck at the clinic, and uh, and I hope we continue to have luck. We've got uh, and there's a lot of learning that goes on. Yeah, it really is a great clinic. I you know I would encourage any official who is listening, uh, especially in Ohio. Uh, next year, you know, hopefully we'll have it next year to really learn a little bit more about this and come to the clinic because it really is a great place to be seen and to learn. So, you know, yeah. if I can throw something in, yeah. um, some of the negative connotation that came from from camps uh, back. The first one I went to was in nineteen, I think eighty six, and uh, it was it was run by the Big Ten, and. Uh, to go up to the Big Ten camp, I had to go to Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is how far, and it cost, I think, $450. Wow. Okay, ouch. Yeah. And, you know, there were there were 40 or 50 or 60 people there, and a, a lot of the, the camps back in got a negative connotation because it was, people thought they were, the, the guys who ran them were just trying to make money. 
because they weren't taking people out of that camp into the Big Ten. But they were having those camps, and they were charging big money. Well, for our, our clinic at, at Columbus, we don't promise anybody any games or anything. All we promise them is, is an, an education, an opportunity to, to, to learn basketball. And you know as well as I do, the price down there is pretty reasonable. Yeah, it is. All right, well, that puts to bed our third quarter. And uh, as before we get to the fourth quarter, it's time for you to listen to this. Hey, ref, the fourth quarter is crunch time. With the outcome of the game in the balance, a hoops official's greatest assets are experience, knowledge, and game management skills. And when that final buzzer sounds and we return to the locker room for our post-game debrief, we know we've done our best. When it comes to plastic resins, PQ2 LLC brings the same experience, knowledge, and management skills to every client engagement. Our observations are focused, our solutions are practical, and our results are exponential. Check us out at www.pq-2.com to learn how we've earned our stripes. Our fourth quarter, Steve, is is a lot of it's a smorgasbord of different types of questions, and and one of the questions uh, that I want to talk about is you touched on a little bit in the last segment is about health and how you look, and I know that there's a lot of people on the basketball floor that when they see Steve Trout, they know that Steve Trout is in great shape every year, and I know in the last couple of years you had an injury uh, that kind of it was a setback, but pretty much the rest of your career uh, you've been in great shape what kind of things did you do to stay that way and uh, what can what can you provide to some of the other officials that can maybe help them stay in shape throughout the season and throughout the off season well you know you know and again uh, i'm not telling you anything you don't know when you walk out on the floor and there are a thousand people in the stands they all have and they make get an impression of you the first time they see you good bad or indifferent they have an, they have an impression by how tall you are, how old you are, what kind of shape you're in. And then, of course, they see you run a little bit. And I realized years and years ago, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. Um, I better be in shape. I want everyone, when they see me to walk on the floor, to say, it looks like he belongs there. So I have, uh, for the last 40 years, I, I work out religiously in the in the weight room three days a week and uh, that, that's the main reason so when I walk out on the basketball floor it appears that I, I belong there um, you missed my injuries I've had several injuries and and they've all been lower body injuries and knees hips so forth which uh, you know there's nothing you can do about that that's from that's probably from 100,000 miles of running and so right. forth that's that's going to happen but uh, appearance is one of the is one of the greatest things that uh, that officials can can have. If you could go out there and fool half the people before the game starts, that's a pretty good start. <laughs> well, in your golf game, it probably helps too, right? Oh, it hasn't hurt it any <laughs> yet. Uh, that's a little bit different, but yet, uh, just uh, I try to stay in pretty good shape, and uh, I guess I always will. So uh, fourth quarter, we've got a couple of situations um, that I'm going to present to you, and I want to see how you're going to handle these, and, and maybe these can help. These situations can help some of the other officials. So the game is tied uh, with five seconds to go. Sixty, the game's sixty to sixty. Team A has the ball 
in to inbound underneath their own basket and mm-hmm. has called timeout. So what are you going to talk to your partners about during the timeout? Okay, I, I, I love last-second situations. Uh, it's that last-second situation that's going to make or break your game. You could have had a great, what would it be, 31 minutes and 55 seconds, and you screw up this last five seconds, you screwed the whole game up. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're going to remember. So uh, I really love this situation. Uh, team's got the ball out of bounds. Um, of course, we're worried about the clock. Everybody's worried about the clock. Well, it's our last second situation, so who's responsible for the clock on the last second shot? Well, we, we do that by the book, of course, be the opposite guy at the table. But another thing we don't often think about, and people don't think about, these, these are high school uh, adults uh, from, from local schools running the clocks and so forth. One of the issues is not starting the clock at the right time. I always have one of the officials be responsible to make sure the clock starts. So we've got somebody responsible for making sure the clock starts. We have someone responsible for the last second shot. And we need to talk over the situation. Uh, we, again, this thing as a coach would, who, who's the coach going to give the ball to? Probably the best player. Probably the kid that's hot. And we can, I would hope if we watched the whole game, we would have an idea who that is. Plus, we can't make a call at this time that we really haven't made up to that point. Uh, if, if you haven't called traveling real closely, we can't call a, a, a guess what travel at this point. And, um, and there, are some, there, there are other minute things that you can talk about, but... Those are the basic ones. If the clock starts right, if the clock is stopped right, we know what type of play they're going to run, who's going to, you know, who's going to take the shot and so forth, if it'll be a post player. If a three-point play is, is required, we need to know who's covering the three-point shot. A lot of little things, but it's things that you should have been doing, like you said before, in the first, second, and third quarter too. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So when you look at, a, at officiating, uh, Steve, what kind of things do you gain from it professionally? Well, you know what? I think one of the things I gained when I was uh, officiating and teaching, I gained, uh, I just gained some respect. People respect officials. Um, they might yell at them, scream at them, and so forth. But most people know how tough a job that is. And, and most people, I, I say most, not everyone, most people appreciate an official who can do a good job and someone who's done it for a few years uh it, it's just something that they respect you because of the job that you just for doing being an official and being good at it you've been at it obviously a long time what's the scariest thing to happen to you on the court and uh possibly <laughs> off the court <laughs> with uh, either I don't, know how, I don't know how scary this is one <laughs> one day one day we were i was refereeing uh if this was a college game but uh, you know how uh, we're out near half court balls out near half court and well, I'm getting really, I'm getting close to the play. I want to be able to cover this play real closely, and and uh, the guard, the the the, the being guarded real close, and the ball gets knocked away from him and rolls right toward me, rolls right, and I can't get out of the way. The ball rolls right between my legs, and I swear three players dive on top of me <laughs> to go for the ball right there at, at half court in the sideline, and, and I mean, these three guys just, I'm laying on my back on the floor. <laughs> just laying on my back 
I don't know if I'm okay. I got a broken leg or what? And, and I looked up, and the coach is standing right above me, looking down at. Me. He ran out on the floor. Where he just he's by his bench. He looked down at me. He's looking down at me, and he and he looked at me. and He said, "Steve, <laughs> whose ball is it?" <laughs> I'm thinking I'm laying here with a broken leg, probably, and all you're worried about is whose ball is it? And you didn't even see the ball go out of bounds, did you? I had no clue. <laughs> I had no clue. And I, look, I looked over across my partners, and they are just laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. <laughs> so that's about, about the dangerous thing. I don't remember getting rolled over or knocked down too many times. Most of us have fallen down and uh, burned a hole in our pant legs before. Oh, yeah. 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 How about fan interaction? Any, um, any scary fan, fan interaction that you've had over the years? You know, not really scary. Let me, uh, I had a <laughs> this is interesting. I had a situation uh, in one of the state tournaments where the game wasn't going real well, and uh, the one the one section was uh, was going to be kind of rowdy, and it was the section right by the exit where the officials leave the floor to go to the locker room after the game. Well, I'm standing at the floor, I'm standing at the timeout in, in, in the circle where I'm supposed to be, and I. I Turn my head to the left, and there's a cop standing right beside me on the floor, right in the middle of the floor in the shot. I looked up, and I said, we got a problem? He goes, yeah, I think we got a problem. I said, well, what, what, what what's going on? He said, we're not going to take you out the way we always go off the floor. We're going to take you off the other end and go back underneath all the bleachers so you don't have to walk, walk or run past this section of irate fans that are not going to be very happy with you when you walk by him. So I had to be escorted off the floor in a different direction at the, at the Schottenstein Center one day. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, that uh, got a few laughs from some of my buddies then, too. Yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as you look through your career, Steve, what are some of the games that you remember the most, maybe uh, one or two games that you remember the most? Well, you know, the the – the, the games that are the toughest and some that I remember no one would district final games are the toughest uh, in most cases because district finals are pretty important games they're with teams that probably know each other or have some interaction with each other maybe even from the same league and so forth so those are those are those are many times big games I'll mention a couple but probably the, probably the biggest game I ever had was uh uh, I had LeBron James in the state finals hmm. in the only game that he lost. Mm-hmm. They lost to um, uh, Cincinnati, um, which, uh, Roger Bacon, I think in 2002. That was probably the biggest well-known game that I had. Um, there was a game uh, with St. Henry. St. Henry had a great run, I think 90 and 91, where they won two state tournaments in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, one year was Division Two, or one divi- year was Division Four. Next year was Division Three, uh, and they won them pretty easily in Columbus. But they had a uh, an overtime game in the district final. I don't know which year it was. Probably the second year. The year we were really good. They got beat. They they won in overtime at uh, High and Northern. They beat uh, Wayne Trace and uh, Al Welsh. Oh yeah, remember that? I remember point. that well. Or they wouldn't they they wouldn't have gotten to the state tournament even that year. Um, of course, the, the other other ones that don't really mean anything to people around here were the two the, the two national uh, NCAA Division three. I worked two national uh, Division three uh, games. Uh, by the way, the years of, of those two NCAA games were 1998 and 2000. Okay, uh, that's the NCAA 
Division Three Final Fours that I worked. And of course, those those are probably the most meaningful games to those people and so forth. But uh, again, not many people around here uh, knew that. Shoot, I got the I you know I had I got to referee games for um, uh, Jimmy Jackson, um, Greg Simpson. Uh, Brandon Pardon, Dougie Etzler, Aaron Kraft, uh, all those all those great players. Uh, yeah, I got to officiate for, and, and they're just such. They were all great kids, as well as being even even LeBron. People ask me how was LeBron to work for, and I said, you know what, he was about as nice and polite as anyone I was around. Um, they're all good kids, great players, and uh, and of course they all had great coaches too, which uh, which helped that. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of those players, people do wonder how they are on the floor, and probably a lot of them probably are the hard, one of the hardest, some of the hardest working players on the team, and they just want to go out and win, and uh, uh, and they can communicate with with officials with the best of them. Sure. Well, I, you know, I had a couple of those. I can remember two of them: uh, Aaron Kraft and uh, Brandon Pardon. I, I had those guys. They, of course, they didn't play each other. I had uh, Brandon Pardon. One night when he played against Doug Essler, I think Essler was a senior maybe when Brandon was a freshman, and I just let uh, I let Essler beat up on on uh, on Pardon, let the senior beat up on the little freshman. You know, just <laughs> he just you know the little freshman's just he's still learning, and I think Essler took him to school, and uh, it was the same thing that I had Aaron Kraft when he was a freshman, and uh, uh, he was pretty good, but I kind of let the guys play against him. Uh, just to show he wasn't the best, the best when he was a freshman yet. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, they, they were great players. Uh, I guarantee you, if uh, if if that had been me, I'd have probably as good as they were. I'd have been a jerk probably. Those guys were absolutely great to work for. <laughs> well, that puts the end of the fourth quarter, and the post game is here, and you can listen to this. Hey ref, good game. When a coach or player acknowledge your effort at the end of a contest. It can make the difference between a fun ride home or one where you're questioning every call you made in total silence. In business, it's no different when the customer values your performance and takes the time to let you know. Visit www.pq-2.com forward slash about to read customer testimonials and then call us at 330-888-9448 to discuss your next plastic application needs. Never ride home wondering if you made the right call. Well, some of the best parts of officiating is the brotherhood and sisterhood, without question. And the drive to and from games uh, can be as entertaining as as anything. Um, Steve, would you agree with that? And uh, maybe any stories of going to and from games that you'd like to share or after games? Well, I can't... uh... I tell you what, when we started officiating back in, in the 80s, it, it, of course, everyone traveled together. The JVs and varsity guys traveled together. And, and, and we officials from Lima would always meet at, at a restaurant there in Lima, the Casa Luau, is where we would always meet. Of course, when we got back, we would all go inside and, and eat like at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And there were it seemed like there were 20 or 30 guys in there every night. And, and the camaraderie that we had and and uh, the stories that we would tell uh, and the friendships we had uh, from uh, from just doing doing that at, at the Casa Luau was uh, 
was something that I know most of us will never, never forget. Of course, a lot of those guys aren't even around anymore. But um, uh, th- that was that was the camaraderie. Yeah, we we traveled every night with our, with our partners. See, the Casa Luau is uh, if we if we went over toward Van Wert or if we went up to uh, uh, Putnam County, that was uh, the hub. That's where we could all meet, and uh, it, it worked out really well for us. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times now we kind of stop at anywhere close to where the game that you officiated. Uh, was located and and uh, I know you certainly get certain looks when you go into the game because people well, recognize you from just doing the game. And, and, and most time, most time, there's not twenty of you. There's only two or three of you, probably. Yeah, right. That's true. And because uh, if there if there were if there were twenty or thirty of us, most of most of them, uh, most of the people in there wouldn't say much to us in. <laughs> <laughs> We'd outnumber them and uh, so forth. But uh, uh, no, but the, that the camaraderie part of it just isn't. Uh, isn't like it used to be, yeah. but um, but again, like I said, uh, the fact that the, the officials now get to stay home, they're not they're not going from home as much. The time at home with their family is more, and that that's important too. Absolutely. So uh, that's the end of post game, and right now it's time for five quick decisions. Hey, ref. PQ2 LLC is proud to be the thermoplastic resin company that dares to be different. Call Matt Kearns at. 330-888-9448 and ask what makes PQ2 LLC different. Official site relationships within the community of basketball officials as a huge reason why we take the floor each game night year after year. PQ2 LLC brings the same passion you have in the locker room to every client relationship we've built over the years. So we are at oftentimes, especially on Friday and Saturday nights, we're fed after games, and we appreciate that uh, more than m- many people realize. Uh, we may grab some food at the concession stands while we're watching the JV game, but a lot of times we're fed after the games. So the question, Steve, is what is some of the best food that you ever received at one of the basketball games? Well, cold water is the place that a lot of people oh, talk yeah. about. With during tournaments and stuff, he has a hospitality suite. And uh, he always puts together chicken wings, and they get uh, submarines from uh, from the sub shop in town. And Eric Goodwin always puts together puts together a great, great, uh, a great uh, meal afterwards. You just got to make sure you don't go down there before the game, or you'll stock up before the game starts. <laughs> the which best. I've seen guys do before. <laughs> okay, no college floors on this question. What's the best high school floor that you've ever worked on? Probably. I'm going to tell you what, the best and toughest floor I ever worked on at the t- during that time was Delphi St. John's. Oh, interesting. Uh, and for those people who don't know, Delphi St. John's is a very small basketball floor. It still has the metal uh, out-of-bounds line that, yep. that lines the out-of-bounds and uh, has the old seats in it uh, as well, and it's, <laughs> it's a very cozy. It's, it's called the Vatican. Oh, and, it, was, uh, uh, yeah. it was as imposing as any place <laughs> anywhere. And when Bob Arzen was there... You've got a Hall of Fame coach with good teams, with 1,700 people in there screaming, people on both ends of the floor, right close to you. Oh, man. It was uh, Yeah, you don't get that very much anymore with all the new gyms. Everybody's far away. And and at Delphus, it really is. You're you're right. It's a great feeling to be there when that place is packed because it's hot 
it's it, they're they're right on top of you, especially underneath the basket. The students' feet are in the way, and you've got the elementary schools kids on the other side, and you know that they've dropped popcorn on the floor, so you're probably going to end up slipping at some time or get butter on your feet yep. or, or shoes or whatever. So that yep. yeah, that is. Uh, but that's that's what basketball. That's basketball. The the other one that was uh, uh, not because the team wasn't quite as good all the time, but the old gym and Van were. That was the best yeah, basketball we, floor for you. I mean, th- those are the two best basketball floors you've ever worked on. Oh, geez, the best ones. I'll tell you what, the best one to work a high school game on is High and Northern. Oh yeah, just because of the things right. that, that you mentioned, people being on you. The High and Northern, everyone is way back. Yeah, and the great and thing you've about got that, all kinds of room. They they turn the lights out, and this is what I like about that place. They turn the yeah. lights out, and you can't see the fans. And but the, right. the lights are solely on the basketball floor, and that's the the beauty yep. of Ohio Northern. You're right, and uh, and well, but you know I'm you're not allowed to say that though because that's still a college floor. I need I need uh, a high geez, school. I, I know need, that. I know, I need uh, a high. What about the uh, t- you know you you talked about Delphus and and uh, Van Wert is maybe maybe they're the toughest floors, but you know there's so many new facilities now. Anything that really grabs yeah. your attention? You know what? The, the, uh, I I think you'll agree with me. Probably the most beautiful new one now. Bright and clear is uh, defiance. I would agree with that. Yep. What a beautiful, what a beautiful place, and they have the old St. John Arena. You know, um, thoughts in there with the scoreboards in the corners and so forth. Yep. Uh, that is probably the the nicest. To say. Boy, you've got your own uh, dressing room off the side, park in the back by yourself. That is probably the best. Uh, everything put together right now. Sure. What's the funniest thing a player or coach ever said to you during a game? Oh man, I can't. Uh, you know, one night, one night we were at—I uh, don't even know where we were. Maybe at Antwerp. It was Lincolnview. I can tell you who's, who's, who it was. And this was a long time ago. And uh, I don't even know what happened. Play situation. We're at the table, looking at the scorebook, trying to get this and that during the middle of the game. And and the coach walked over. And he, he looked at my partner and me, and he said, do either one of you have a clue what's going on here? <laughs> he didn't use the word clue. <laughs> but he said, do any of you guys have a blank what's going on here tonight? <laughs> and I thought, you know what? It sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> and uh, But I, I had a coach one night. You talk about something a little more serious. I, I'm refereeing. I think I'm refereeing pretty hard. And I'm standing in front of the coach, and there's a, there's a play – and the coach looked at me and said, you know, if you'd hustled a little bit more, I think you could have got a, a pretty good look at that play. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man. No response, right? <laughs> no, I just kind of looked at him and, oh, geez, okay, I don't want him thinking that. <laughs> so, yeah. How about a fan? What's the funniest thing the fan has ever said <laughs> to you? Well, this is kind of the fan and kind of me, too. I was uh, – at the old gym in Columbus Grove, the walls were the, the end walls were really close. It was really, really, really confined. And I was standing uh, down at one end, and one of the, some some guy standing there during the timeout, standing beside me, looked at me, and he said, "He said, why don't you take that whistle and stick it up your blank?" <laughs> and I looked I looked at him and I said, "I would, but then you'd you'd want to blow it." <laughs> and. Uh, uh, that's about the stupidest thing anybody ever said to me. I had a, I had a pretty good comeback for that. So. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people right now hopefully are still laughing at that one because the response was golden, Steve. 
uh, yeah, you'd be the first one to want to blow it. So, anyway. Uh, I want to thank Steve Trout, the legendary Steve Trout, uh, for taking the time out of his schedule today to be part of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast. Steve, I really appreciate the time. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for, for taking the time out with me. Well, Mark, I appreciate it, and I, I certainly uh... – Hope all the success in the world for for you and the podcast and what you're doing. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I appreciate the time you spent. I hope you were able to take something away from this show that helps your officiating career. Or if you were just listening um, to the show, I'm hoping you were able to enjoy the stories. Uh, You can also uh, support the podcast by buying me a caramel apple cider. Uh, yeah, you know, I love those. Those are at coffee shops. So if you would like to support the podcast by buying me a caramel apple cider, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash mark hyphen Again, that is anchor.fm backslash mark hyphen Thanks very much and have a great day.